Genesis chapter 24, Genesis 24, it is a rather long chapter, we're going to look at all of it tonight, um, so I'm going to skip part of the reading, but we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 67, uh, skipping a part of that. Genesis 24, beginning at verse 1, we hear now is God's word. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today, and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman, to whom I say, please let down your jar, that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also, until they finish drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel 
and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me, whose daughter are you? Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of bull straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, Speak on. Then the servant recounts everything that had happened, Abraham's instructions, how they came, and, and what took place. Let's pick up the reading at verse 47. He's talking about talking with Rebekah. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord, and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us at least a, a, a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. When Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man, thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beir Rahiloai and was dwelling in the, in the Negev. 
And Isaac went down to meditate in the field toward the evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. And he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are very uh, quickly coming to the end of our portion of our study of Genesis. When we began this series, I said we'd go through about the first half of the book, and I expect we will have one more sermon uh, next week, uh, finishing up this section on Abraham in the book of Genesis. Uh, Tonight, we come to a time near the end of Abraham's life. We have seen throughout the life of this man God's faithfulness to him. Even though Abraham would be unfaithful, God would continue to be faithful. Now, as he is nearing the end of his life, Abraham is also concerned about his son. Will God be faithful to his son? Will his son walk in the ways of the Lord, particularly with regard to whom his son would marry? Certainly, that is a theme that all of us as Christian parents can enter into. Who will our children marry? Will this this help them in their walk with the Lord? Tonight we're going to see how a wife was found for Isaac and certainly gives us instruction as to what a Christian marriage is to look like. But of course we know that uh, there is more to marriage. Marriage is also a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ, the husband, and us, the church, his bride. And so this text applies not only to those who may be considering marriage or who are are already married, it applies to us as the bride of Christ and how God teaches us how we should respond to our husband. We are looking tonight at finding a wife for Isaac. First of all, we see in the story who is doing the looking for the wife. And interestingly, uh, it is not Isaac. Uh, We have no indication that Isaac goes to Abraham and says, hey, you're getting up in years, would you find a wife for me? No, Isaac doesn't say anything about that. He is not taking the initiative. He's not the one who's looking. It is not Rebecca. It is not the bride. She is living in a faraway land. In fact, she doesn't even know Isaac exists. It's not Isaac who is looking. It is not Rebecca who is looking. It is Abraham who takes the initiative here. Abraham was old, well advanced in years. The Lord had blessed him in all things. And Abraham is now concerned about a bride, a wife for his son. Abraham had learned many things from the Lord over his years of walking with him. And certainly, 
the importance of a wife who would share in the promises of the covenant. They had learned that lesson firsthand, that God would be faithful as they would walk in obedience to him. We see that while Abraham initiates this this search for the bride, it is God. It is God who is the one who is in control and provides. Look at verse 7. Abraham says, The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and he will take a wife for my son from there. God will be at work. God will send his angel ahead of you. Look at verse 26. Verse 26 of this chapter When the man finds uh, Rebekah, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, for he has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And once again from verse 52, we read there, When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. God was the one who was active. God was at the center of this marriage. And that must certainly be the case in our marriages, that God is the one at the center. The importance of recognizing that he brings husband and wife together, and he calls them together, to honor him. He calls them to honor his requirements for marriage. It's important for us to to live that as married people. It's important for us as young people not yet married to remember that. That, that, That God must be at the center of our relationship with our spouse. If we are... um, looking for someone to marry, we have to ask the question, will this person encourage me in my walk with the Lord? If God is to be at the center of our relationship, will this person, this man, this woman, help me in my service to Him? Will they join me in the desire to honor God, to honor Christ, to honor His Word? God is to be at the center of these relationships, these most important relationships that we enter into. It is God who is active. It is God who is in control. And that is most certainly the case as we consider our position as the bride of Christ. It is not so much that we were seeking out God, we were not looking for Him, But God comes seeking us. God is the one who takes the initiative. He is the one who does everything necessary, as in this story, to orchestrate our marriage to Christ, our salvation. As we read through this, we see all the things that God does to bring the right person at the right time, saying the right thing. God is in control. And He is most certainly in control when it comes to our salvation. And as such, he is the one who receives the glory. We don't take credit for for us finding God. We recognize we were in a far-off country. 
and he comes seeking us. He still does that today. He comes to us tonight. He calls us to put our faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one who initiates the contact. And he is the one who calls and says, come unto me and know the joy of this relationship. Be the bride of Christ. Rebecca was given gifts as she prepared for that marriage. God gifts us. We are clothed. We are given clothes. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ himself. We are given the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells within the church. These are the glorious spiritual gifts we have received as God himself has brought us in, has sought us out as the bride, and has allowed us to be a part of that glorious marriage. God is the one who does the looking. What is it that we should look for when thinking about a spouse? Now, I would love to tell you tonight that this text teaches us that we must look for a spouse in the church. I would love to be able to tell you that. Because there are many texts in Scripture which teach that very lesson, that we should look for a spouse within the church. This is not one of those texts. We cannot teach what the text does not say. But there is a lesson here to be learned as well. Go back to verse 4 of this text. Abraham is speaking to his servant. He says, But you will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Where did Abraham come from? He came from Ur of the Chaldees. He came from paganism. And why would he send his servant back to that pagan country to look for a wife? No, this text does not teach we should look for a wife or a spouse within the church. There are other texts which teach that, not this one. What does this text teach about the relationship between husband and wife and their, and their spiritual walk? While it is true that Rebecca would come out of paganism, it is also true that before she would marry, she would be brought in to the covenant community. She's not left in paganism. She makes the journey and is brought in to Abraham's household. She is brought into the covenant community before the marriage takes place. That's what we are being taught from this text. That, that there are certain things which have to be settled before a marriage takes place. Dating, marriage, is not the field of evangelism. We don't date someone hoping that perhaps someday they may become a Christian later. If it is the case that there is someone who is not currently in the covenant community who we may have an interest in, we must be sure 
They are firmly established and brought into the covenant community before that marriage takes place. They must be brought out of paganism and brought in to the church. Abraham is concerned that his son would have this wife of his family, but brought in, brought into the family. Now look at verse 5. The servant said, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And we have Abraham being adamant, see to it, you do not take my son back. Why was he so concerned about that? Don't take my son back to that land of paganism. Bring the girl in, bring her into the covenant community, but don't let my son go back to that pagan country. Abraham knows that if Isaac goes back and dwells in the land of paganism, he will fall under the danger of further temptations. His his devotion to the Lord may be watered down by the context in which he lives. Dwelling now outside the covenant community, going back to the pagan land, he would be challenged, and he might wane in his devotion for the Lord. And that same danger faces us today as we consider marriage. If we marry someone who is not of the covenant community and has not yet been brought in, we might become weaker in our devotion to the Lord. We might tend to water down our allegiance to Him. I've talked with with friends whose families don't share the conviction that we do about the Lord's Day. And so there's a a family event and we're spending a wonderful time together on a a Lord's Day afternoon and they say, hey, let's let's go and let's do this really fun thing tonight. Just come along with the family. It's going to be a great family time. And we say, "But, but we intend to go to church tonight. Oh, why do you have to go to church again? Why do you have to go twice on Lord's Day? Why bother? Why are you so concerned about going to church? And we might be tempted to water down our devotion to the Lord. Abraham says, don't don't let Isaac go back. If he gets in that context, in that pagan context, he will be tempted. No, don't let my son go back to that place. And certainly we see that in our life in Christ. When God calls us out, When he takes us out of our sin, releases us from our sinful ways, we must be so careful not to go back there again. It is so easy to return to the old, familiar ways, but they are the sinful ways. Don't go back. Don't go back to that that old, sinful context, lest we be tempted to water down our devotion to the Lord. Don't go back to those old sinful patterns of life. But God has called us out of that. God has released us from that. 
and we are to walk consistently as a part of the covenant community. We live here in this community, in the community of Christ, his bride. Don't go back again and live in that paganism. When God calls us out, we are to remain out and to live in a way that is pleasing to him. How does this servant go about doing his job? How does he find this wife? Well, look in verse 12. We read there, the servant says, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. He begins this search with prayer. And as simplistic as that might seem, that must be where we begin as well. If we are considering marriage, if we are hoping to marry someday, this should already be a matter of our prayer life. That God would would bring to us that person with whom we can share our life, with whom we can enter into covenant before Him. If you are of marriageable age, I hope that's a regular part of your prayers, that if the Lord should have you marry, that you would marry someone who will help you in your walk with Him. That is certainly what we as parents pray for for our children. We pray that our children if they should marry, would marry a Christian spouse. One who is already now being raised in a Christian home. One who perhaps tonight is in God's house of worship somewhere. Who values the importance of the Lord's Day. That our children would not have to be tested, tried in that. But their spouses would affirm them in the importance of gathering with God's people on His day. That is our prayer as parents. If we are hoping to marry someday, that should be our prayer as well, that that our spouse would already be, having been raised in a Christian home, committed to following after God, that we not be tempted to, to leave the conviction we have. He begins his search with prayer, and then what does he do? He asks for a sign. Verse 13, he says this, Behold, he's talking to God, Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink and I will water your camels, let her be the one whom you have appointed to your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love my master. He begins with prayer and then asks for a sign. When we read in the scriptures about people asking for a sign, we have to remember the distinction between that which the scriptures describe and that which the scriptures prescribe. There are things that are described to us, the looking for the sign, that are not prescribed for us. We know that God 
no longer speaks through signs. He says he has spoken now more excellently in the word of his Son. So if we are uh, considering someone whom we should marry, we don't ask for a particular sign. I'll know this is the one if they're from, from this particular city. I'll know this is the one if they wear this color fingernail polish. I know they're the one if they're a Dodger fan instead of an Angels fan. I'll know. That'll be the sign. Or if they're a Diamondbacks fan, marry them immediately. <laughs> but we don't look for signs. We don't look for these external things. Because even, even when the sign seems to be perfectly answered, look what the man says in verse 21. Everything happened exactly like he asked God. Verse 21. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord has prospered his journey or not. God gave him exactly what he asked for. Let her give me water. Let her give my camels water. That's exactly what happens. He says, I'm not sure yet. I'm going to wait and see if this is the one. Signs are never sufficient. We don't look for signs anymore today of whom we should marry. Because God has given us a clearer sign. Not external things. God has given us the clear signposts in His Word of, of how we should look for a spouse. Now, there's no name written there and there's no, no particular address written there, but God has certainly told us what we should look for. We should look for someone, as I have said, who will enhance our walk with the Lord. If you're in a dating relationship with someone, and you've dated them for a time. And I would come to you and ask you, how is their walk with the Lord? And you'd say, well, um, uh, I'm not sure. Um, you know, their parents go to church, and I, I think their grandparents might be a part of a church. If you don't know, then you have not asked the right questions yet as to how to find the right spouse. Are they one who's going to enhance your walk with God. We may not, we may not be unequally yoked. We have to ask the question, if we've been dating someone for some time, who is Christ to you? What does he mean to you? How does he affect your life? These are, are, are the things we need to look for as we consider marriage. Those who will help us in our walk with God. If you're in a dating relationship, you have to ask yourself this question. Is this person helping me walk more closely to God, or are they taking me away from my walk with God? Am I getting stronger in Him, or am I getting weaker? We look for that one whom the Scriptures reveal has to be someone who will come alongside of us, who will join with us in covenant together and in covenant before the Lord. This is what it is to, to look for a Christian spouse. And certainly what it is to know how we are to live as the bride of Christ. We don't look for extraordinary signs to determine what to do. We look to the simple, clear teaching of God's Word. What does it look like to be a believer? What does it look like to be Christ's bride. And we take that word of God and we apply it to our lives. Of course, that takes a thoroughgoing knowledge of the word. 
We can't just simply know one text here and one text here and one text here. We must know the Word of God. How it speaks to us in our lives and that the Holy Spirit might by His power apply that Word to us. That God might help us be that bride. That bride which is faithful to Jesus Christ, our husband. That we that we look like the bride of Christ because God's word dwells in us and guides and directs every part of our life. This story tonight is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful text that gives us the story of of finding a wife for Isaac and how God orchestrated everything. As such, it, it gives us instruction if we are looking for a spouse. The the necessity of praying to God, trusting in God, looking for that one who will enhance our walk with Him. But it speaks not only to those who are perhaps looking for a spouse. It speaks to us who are a spouse, who are the bride of Christ Himself. He came and He sought us out. We were fallen and sinful and He came to us calling us out of the world calling us into fellowship with him. We must not go back. Don't go back to that land. Don't go back to those temptations. But seek by God's grace to consistently live as part of that covenant community. If you are seeking a spouse tonight, this text speaks to you. But if you are part of Christ's church, you are his bride, and this text speaks to you. How do we live in a way that brings honor and glory to our God. Rebecca brought out of paganism into the covenant community. What a blessing for her. We have received that same blessing. Oh, may God help us to to lovingly, consistently live as Christ's bride. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you and we praise you for your holy word a word that is right, a word that is true, a word that teaches us so many things. You teach us history from the past, our forefathers in Abraham and Isaac. But it's a word that's applied to us today. Lord God, apply this word to our hearts and lives. If there are those here who would desire for marriage, Lord God, give us patience as we wait upon you. May may we wait upon you and look to you for the one who is in control of all things. Lord God, help us as Christ's bride, brought out of darkness into light. Help us to live in a way which brings glory and honor to you and shows you our thanksgiving for what you have done for us. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's turn to 237 in the Psalter hymnal. Number 237, how shall the young direct their way? What light shall be their perfect guide? Thy word, O Lord, will safely lead if in its wisdom they confide. We're going to sing both verses, 237. Let's stand together as we sing.
receive the parting blessing of our God. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.